Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Last April in Brussels, the European Commission tabled a proposal for the European Artificial Intelligence Act. The act is being negotiated by the European Parliament and Council. Experts from different fields are being called upon to examine weaknesses in the current draft. Right now, we're going to hear a few words about the divergences between private sector and public sector use of AI from a member of the European Parliament from Portugal, Maria Manuel Leitao Marquez. In the past, we have been more fearful of data collection and its use by the state. Thus, we have been focused on restricting what the public sector could do in terms of assessing or using citizens' data. However, after the digital revolution, the private sector has much easier access to data about citizens, such as those collected through social media and other online footprints. Thank you, Maria Manuel Leto Marquez. Some questions arise on reviewing the actual draft of the AI Act. For example, are the risk categories being proposed by the Commission appropriate? Do they take into account unintended impacts of AI? Amongst the experts addressing these concerns is our next guest, Elena Gorgieva. Elena is a research scientist at TNO in the Netherlands. Hi, Elena. My first question for you is about these different levels of risk. Could you give us some examples? Start with AI systems with unacceptable risks that the Act bans in the EU. What are these exactly? Could you give us some examples? Start with AI systems with unacceptable risks that the Act bans in the EU. What are these exactly? Those are basically AI systems that manipulate individuals covertly, so manipulative AI systems. We have social scoring in that category and real-time biometric identification systems when used by law enforcement, then they are unacceptable. Okay, so those manipulative forms of AI using subliminal techniques, for example, can you give us an example or two of some of those that are in existence already? Sure. Uh, the tricky part here is that we have you know, examples from the practice and, and those are bountiful. But the ones that the AI Act actually covers are very few. I can give you, for instance, examples of how the Commission thinks about manipulative AI systems. You know, if we think about subliminal techniques, imagine a frequency of an audible sound, right? And this inaudible sound pushes a driver to stay longer behind the wheel than is healthy. So this would be such a subliminal, you know, covertly beyond the person's consciousness technique. And then we have the other, those are the ones that exploit uh, certain vulnerabilities. And for instance, those are age or physical or mental disability. Think of an AI facilitated toy that, for instance, brings a child over time to engage in dangerous behavior. Um, and the interesting thing is that all those examples of manipulative AI systems that we know from the practice, right? I mean, deep fakes and disinformation, those do not fall under the prohibition. Okay. So at the level of high risk, which is the second level, just below unacceptable risk, these are risks that would be authorized, but subject to a set of requirements in order to gain access to the market in Europe. And as you mentioned, you're talking about social scoring. So just for our listeners, what exactly do you mean by social scoring? Um, it's, it speaks of the outcome itself, right? So it's about judging individuals based on personal characteristics or social behavior. This is like the social credit program in China, for example. Exactly, exactly. Very similar. So it's reflective of that in a way, mindful of that. And then so once those characteristics have been evaluated or judged and then based on, on the scoring, people are assigned scores of trustworthiness. And so if that is done by a public authority, 
then you know we have uh, public social scoring, which is very problematic. But if it's done by a private party, then it falls under the high-risk regime of the AI Act, right? So again, we have these two different risk levels. Right. So it's less strictly regulated in the private sphere. Actually, in a way, it's the other way around. Because, ah. yeah, it, funny enough, it's uh, one would think, right? I mean, because it's actually not banned, it's not prohibited, but it is accompanied by a number of regulations or by a number of, of additional provisions about uh, data governance, data quality, transparency obligations, et cetera, et cetera, risk uh, management systems. But that being said, um, there is one fundamental difference here that those are very broadly designed or termed in the act itself. And the act outsources, you know, to fill in the content of those very broad provisions actually to the private sector, which is problematic, right? Because we have social scoring, but when performed by a private party, then we have the lack of, of checks and balances that actually the public sector would, would have to undergo in such a serious situation. Going back to the divergence between the public and the private sector, Ms. Leitao Marquez also commented on these constraints. The constraints for the public sector are still in place and even worsened, increasing the burden and limitation in using data for better and citizen-centered public services. When regulating AI, we need to take this divergence into account. Rules must be in place that prevent undue usage of personal data. We must create a framework that enables data-driven innovation special for public services. The other area we haven't talked about yet is biometric identification systems. Where do these fall in the risk pyramid, Lena? We have biometric identification systems that are real-time. So basically something that is happening, right? Imagine law enforcement being present at the demonstration and all that data is being sort of flows directly into a biometric identification system. Right, some sort of mass surveillance. Exactly, and it does so immediately, right? Almost instantly. And then we have such biometric identification systems that are, you know, post, basically happen with data that has been produced before. We have also biometric categorization systems and emotion recognition systems. Those are all types of biometric identification. And for some reason, the act does this rather, well, rather contested thing. I think quite a few people have been busy with looking into it and commenting on it because the real-time biometric identification systems by law enforcement are banned. You know, real-time biometric identification systems used by any other actor are sort of okay, you know, so they're not prohibited. They fall then under the high-risk regime as post-biometric identification systems. And then we have the rather curious case of biometric categorization and um, emotion recognition systems, which are considered for some reason low risk. So they are neither prohibited nor, you know, regulated as, as high risk systems. And there are some transparency obligations that entities that deploy such systems should comply with. In your presentation to the panel for the future of science and technology last week, you also talked about how the act blurs boundaries between users and providers, and also the usage of their term user is somewhat confusing between who deploys and who is impacted. Indeed, users under the act are actually not the users that, that you and I would think of normally, right? I mean, you as a user or me as a user of a service or something similar. 
Here in the AI Act, the users are those who actually deploy the systems. And this is in a way quite problematic because there is again this difference between the AI Act and the GDPR. The terminology does not align. So this already creates quite a bit of, of legal uncertainty and confusion, right? So it's something rather counterproductive to the act's rationale of, of harmonization. And this sort of leads me to another point that you bring up about, is the act future-proof? Does it take into account the life cycle of an AI system and how that might change or adapt as it learns or be used in ways that it wasn't originally intended to be used? So that's part of my question. My other question is, can it be future uh, proofed? Yeah, <laughs> I was actually going to start with that, to be honest. Um, I think, I mean, it's a very fair question. It's, it's such a vital topic and behind it are really vital considerations regulating AI. However, I, I don't think that any regulation addressing new technologies or phenomena like AI use or deployment can really be future proofed. I'm not entirely sure that we should be trying it at, at this point in the sense that, uh, don't get me wrong, I think it's a great signal from the European Commission trying to lay down the rules of the road, the do's and don'ts, right? But there is something still inherently missing from the picture of how AI regulation is being approached, so to say. So in that sense, I don't think that the current draft is future-proofed um, because it's either very technocentric or very law-centric but it doesn't really account for the um, socio-technical changes that the you know, AI system would, would produce. So in that sense, it shows us rather gaps than how to close them. Um, and you also mentioned something else that's problematic, which are uh, withdrawal rights. Yes, I think this, this sort of relates to what we talked about uh, a moment ago, about the fact that the act doesn't really provide any source of protection for individuals, right? There are a number of places or a number of provisions in the act that actually provide for for transparency obligations right and we already mentioned that we have some transparency obligations when deep fakes are deployed so what other key concerns do you have what what should we be worried about here well certainly about the fact that the AI act uh, speaks of protecting fundamental values and rights and that there as we just discussed no protection mechanisms for individuals that's one and that's a big one we should also be worried about the fact that biometric identification systems are not really coherently addressed that basically law enforcement is being singled out, but we see other public authorities or private sector parties that are not necessarily uh, subjected to the same ban. We should be definitely worried about uh, the biometric categorization systems and emotion recognition systems, which are considered low risk, right? So we should be worried about those risk inconsistencies. Those are quite serious. But do you think uh, in this revision phase, those can be hammered out? Are you optimistic about the act? I certainly hope so. I mean, the act is still a really good signal in the right direction, but it's certainly a work in progress. I'm very curious about to what extent all the reports and, and all the, the research basically currently being done by experts that are trying to uncover those gaps and to suggest solutions are going to be taken on board. I mean, there are obviously um, also quite a few really, really capable, intelligent people in Brussels. However, we also know that the tech lobby is also quite strong. Okay, well, you've given us uh, much to think about. Thank you, Elena. Oh, you're most welcome. We'll finish now by posing the same question to Maria Manuel Leitao Marquez, 
Are you optimistic about the act? Citizens can benefit the most from an innovative state. Their data should be used to ensure a reduction of burdens and delivery of personalized services, for instance, in health and education. Fundamental rights must, of course, be respected throughout the process for both private and public actors. In fact, if you are to allow any regulatory divergence, we should be more lenient with those whose role is to maximize the public good than with those whose objective is mainly private profit. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcasts. To learn more about the EU Parliament's panel for the future of science and technology work on AI, go to STOA at the European Parliament's website. To learn more about the OECD work on AI, go to oecd.ai. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.